Chapter 8 The Great Below Foster Helios III watched with little interest as the mover skittered about his father's mansion, packing up boxes and lugging them out the massive front doors to be packed into an air transport parked on the front lawn. It was the seventh ship of the day. It all had to go. After a month of living with austere portraits and busts of his late father staring him down, he had called the movers. He didn't know where they were taking everything, and he honestly didn't care. Here in Derelier, there were committees, subcommittees, and foundations devoted to preserving the legacy of his father, Foster Helios II, the richest man in Atmo, who couldn't buy himself another second no matter how hard he tried. And he tried. Echoes filled the mansion now. The emptiness wasn't for want of money, as the Collective had compensated young Foster amply ever since he was old enough to command the attention of his father. And he would have many opportunities as he commanded the Collective fleet to wipe the sky clear of pirates. He was already 35, which meant it was high time for a Helios man to save the world again. A man wearing the Collective's insignia on his arms dashed into the main foyer and saw Foster standing up in his balcony. Sir, he called up. What is it? Foster said, more interested in guessing the length of the foyer than speaking to the man. The Kingfisher was spotted with another ship outside of Verdant. What? Intelligence said he was on the city. I know, sir, but a dive team stayed behind to investigate the residue of the Convergence and... Did we capture Napier? No, sir. He flew higher than we could follow. And what about the other ship? A junker. We don't have a ship in the area that's not a diver of one of Bravo's, the lackey said. Send one of Derailier's detachments. I want the captain of that ship brought directly to me. Yes, sir. The man left the mansion as quickly as he had entered. Foster looked at one of the paintings of his father that had not yet been packed up. You search your entire life for the ageless Napier, and he falls into my lap just after you ran out of time. Looks like I won't need a son to carry on the Helios name after all, he smirked. After all, sons just throw away what their fathers spent their lives building so they can make their own name anyway. What good are they? Rass's one memory of flying through the main pass leaving the bowl had frightened him as a small boy, but at least he had the reassurance of his father being at the helm. The wind tunnel effect jostled the ship, but back then he knew without a shadow of a doubt that they would never crash as long as his dad had the wheel firmly in his capable hands. Having cliffs on either side of him once again drew Rass's mind unwillingly to framers, but he was determined not to let another fox fall prey to the further scrapes if he could help it. If the main pass to the bowl was wide enough to let a dreadnought like the Dauntless through, he could literally fly circles and be fine. Callie stood next to Rass, gripping the railing near the helm tightly, laughing nervously with every bobble. So, what's the number one rule of being on an airship? You want rules? Rass asked. I want to make sure I know what I'm doing, she said. I just figured there's a list of rules for wind merchants. Let's go with don't fall off, Rass said. Good rule. A current rocked the ship quickly to port and Callie wrapped her elbow around the railing for extra support. Let's follow that one. The second rule of being a wind merchant is when you see sky pirates, you run, Rass said. He spun the wheel to starboard, correcting their altered course. More often than not, they were interested in the ship rather than the ransom. He looked over to see Callie's eyes fixed on the grand horizon unfurling before them as the cliffs gave way to the end of the pass. Sky pirates, bad. Got it, she said absentmindedly as the last of the turbulence subsided. She released the railing, taking in the vista. This is magnificent, she said, raising a hand to her mouth. Looking at the clouds with Callie present made Rasp feel like he was seeing the world anew. Her excitement passed to him, almost overcoming his nervousness about spending the foreseeable future with her. It's a big world out there, he said, looking back at the opening of the bowl. The last vestiges of home fell away, and he knew he couldn't face himself if he saw those cliffs again without a full tank of Hal's air. He pushed the throttle forward, flexing old Harley's engines on the open sky. They responded sluggishly, but reached a top speed higher than his old set. What else are we going to see? Callie asked. I don't know. Floating cities, more clouds, 
Hopefully not Sky Pirates. What about all your books? Don't they talk about Atmo? She shook her head. New books are kind of hard to come by. Because paper is hard to make up here? Callie shrugged, transfixed on the horizon. Partly, but when the cities were built, they couldn't take everyone that survived the overload, so they focused on taking the doctors, scientists, engineers, basically the people they felt could keep humanity afloat. And since everyone else had to make it onto one of the cities by lottery, not a whole lot of writers made it on board. Rast didn't quite remember learning that lesson in school. Is that why you're writing your book? Kind of, she said, drumming her fingers on the railing. Can I tell you a secret? It's just you, me, and the wind, so I'd say it quietly, Rast said. I set my book during the clockwork war so I could investigate why the Great Overload happened without getting kicked out of the university, she said. Nobody liked talking about the Great Overload. The concept of millions of people exploding into vapor throughout the city's deeply frightened Rast, and rightly so. Most parents avoided telling their children about it for as long as possible. Rast was eight when Elias sat him down and explained what happened as best he knew. What's the popular theory there? All the professors would do was refer me to books in the library that were continually checked out or had the important pages missing, she said. I think someone's trying to cover up why it happened. Well, that makes sense. If it was man-made and they survived it, I'm sure they wouldn't want to go down in history as the destroyer of mankind, Rast said, looking down the wheel to set course for derailleur before leaving the console. Where are you going? Callie asked. To check the rigging and the engines. I just want to make sure everything's running all right before we get too far, Rass said. So you were saying about ripped out pages? Yes. That's why I think it wasn't an accident or a natural occurrence. There were a lot of books with pages missing, she said, following Rass down the stairs to the deck. If someone didn't want people knowing why it happened, they'd have to rip pages out of way more books than just the ones on Verdant. Rass tugged on the rope, securing the balloon to the body of his ship, inspecting the knots. How are you going to continue your research? He asked as he unfastened one of the knots and began retying it. We have to get our engines upgraded on derailleur, right? She asked in a tone Rass recognized as one usually preceding her request. He finished the knot and turned to face Callie. Yeah, but if Hal was right about India Bravo being in the collective's pocket, we're going to need to lay as low as possible there. Well, I hear libraries are excellent places to lay low, she said, shifting her weight back and forth playfully. And derailleurs is the biggest of all of them. Very easy to hide in. He considered it. It wasn't a bad idea, but he didn't like being apart from the ship while it was being worked on. Leaving Callie alone to wander by herself in the metropolis wasn't an option either. We'll see how things are when we get there this evening. For all we know, your father has radioed out to every bounty hunter with an open channel to bring back his kidnapped daughter. He wouldn't do that, Callie said. Russ lifted an eyebrow. All right, he'd probably do that, she said, but would they really let a bounty hunter waltz into that library? Ras considered it. Hiding in a place that made Callie happy beat out being trapped in a waiting room at Flint's. All right, we'll check out the library. Carefully, he said, holding up his index finger as a warning. If you can't be good, be careful, Mr. Kidnapper, she said playfully. You do know you're going to have to clear up all this with your father when we get back, right? Callie sighed. I'd prefer not to have to think about that until I have to. Ras checked a few other knots, satisfied with their security, before heading toward the ladder down to the hold. So, what's got you interested in the Great Overload? He asked, lowering himself below deck. He stood at the base of the wooden ladder and held out a hand to assist Callie in reaching the floor. Well, if we can figure out why it happened, then maybe there's a way to reverse it, she said, opening her eyes wide to drink in the little bit of light from the porthole in the otherwise dark hold. Rass pulled the energy bulb's slender chain, bringing the room to illumination. What is that? Callie asked, nodding toward a vehicle sitting next to the collection tank. The single-seater open-air skiff sat with a wheel almost as tall as Rass at either end of it, but didn't need to be propped up. Its bronze finish gave it a classic, sleek look, and its small wings were currently folded back into its body. 
It's a jet cycle, Brass exclaimed with a laugh. Oh, my mother would absolutely kill me if she knew it was in here. It must have been Tibbs. I had him throw it in. Happy birthday, Kelly said. But it's not I know when your birthday is, she said, giving him a playful shove. How did it get in here? Rast looked over until he saw a new control panel in the hydraulic system that outlined the side of the hold. I just thought this was a patch job, not a bay door. He was going to use it as a patio or something, Callie said with a shrug. He said you'd have to flush the engines a few times to break it in. I'm assuming you know what that means? No, more or less, Rast said absentmindedly. It was a new model, just like everything else Tibbs ever bought. He threw a leg over the body, straddling the seat. The odometer read all zeros. He never flew this thing. The idea of a jet cycle had honestly scared Rast to death growing up. Several wind merchants he knew had died in accidents when their motors clogged and fell out of Atmo, never to be seen again. But having another transport option if something happened to the brass fox made him feel safer. Thank you, Rast said. You didn't have to do this. I know, she said. You helped me escape, Verdon? I owed you. Rast dismounted and walked over to her, taking her up in a hug. Your math is fuzzy. He squeezed her tight before releasing. Now let's see what old Harley left us. He walked over to one of the Windstrider scoop engines and squatted down, running a hand over the dusty metal casing before wiping his palm on his pant leg. Are they any good? Callie asked. Oh, they're fine. Well, past their prime, but what isn't? Rass asked. He felt the cabling along the underside, pulling it into the light to inspect. Corroded. That's another reason why I want to find out if the great overload can be reversed, Callie said. I don't think we were meant to fly. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but even birds can't stay up forever. Rast retrieved a wrench stuck to a magnetized metal bar on the wall before moving to an upright toolbox. Can you flip the left switch by the ladder? He rooted around until he found old cables comparable to the corroded set. At the flick of a switch, one of the engines fell silent and the ship tilted a little to starboard. Are we turning? Callie asked. Should I flip it back on? Oh, we're fine. I'll crack course after this. Might as well keep moving forward, Rast said. He moved to position himself on his back underneath the engine and began loosening the nuts securing the cabling system. Do you not like flying? Oh, I, I love it out here, she said. It's just... Clouds get boring. Nothing gets boring compared to that basement, she said. It's just that I want to see lakes and rivers and mountains and forests full of trees. It's all going unappreciated right now. Rass carefully removed the corroded cable, but oil immediately spurted across his face. This would happen right in front of her, wouldn't it? He thought. He wiped his mouth before berating the engine. I don't care what anybody says, that was not a feature. You deserve to be updated, you know that? Are, are you alright? Callie asked. Fine, just reminding myself what oil tastes like. He turned his head to spit a greasy strain of saliva. Sorry, you were saying about all those things that sound like they're words you know and I don't? Rakes and livers and whatnot? Callie laughed. It would just be nice to see them is all. Energy poisoning and exploding aside, you're not afraid of remnants? Rast asked. That's not a nice way to refer to them, Callie said. What do you call them? Rast plugged the hole with new cables, fastening the nut. They're just people that got left behind, assuming anybody's still alive down there. Oh, they're down there, Brass said, pulling himself out from underneath the engine and wiping his blackened face with a handkerchief. My dad knew a few pilots who weren't afraid to die for relics. Months later, he saw their ships crewed by pale men with ragged clothes that didn't know how to fly. Probably murdered the pilot. You talk about them like they're the boogeyman, Callie said. You missed a spot, she pointed to her forehead. Rass rubbed his forehead with a rag. I mean, it's not their fault that most cities couldn't hold everyone. I just wouldn't want to meet the kind of people that are slowly poisoned by convergences generation after generation. That has to do something to him, he said. Besides, imagine not knowing if your baby would be born a neck. I get the picture, Callie said. But wouldn't it be amazing to find a way to fix things? You think they'd let us land? They'd probably hate us for leaving them. 
Maybe they figured out why the great overload happened. Callie shrugged as she watched Rast step beside her to flick on the engine. It sputtered, then backfired in a concussive blast that belched black smoke into the hold. No. Rast put the rag over his mouth and ushered Callie up the ladder before flicking the engine off and climbing up after her. The smoke billowed up out of the hold behind him as they reached the deck. Half a house up in smoke, he coughed. Make that another day to derailleur. As the smoke cleared, Rast spent the remaining daylight hours tinkering with the engine while Callie steered and kept a watchful eye on the horizon for Sky Pirates or the Collective. I can barely see where we're going anymore, Callie's muffled voice filtered into the hold from the bridge. Rast looked out the porthole to see pitch black and checked his watch to confirm the stomach's assessment that it was well past dinner time. He lobbed the wrench into the wall and it stuck against the magnetized strip of the clang. Climbing up the ladder to the deck, he looked up to see Callie softly illuminated by the console's faint blue light. Crescent moon's out tonight, she said, pointing to the horizon. Rast looked back over his shoulder at the sliver of white barely illuminating the clouds. We could probably keep flying if the moon was full, but at least we'll get to see some stars. He watched Callie crane her neck to stare up at the sparkling sky. Remember when you used to tell me their names? She asked. He did. Reciting incorrect names for constellations to the pretty neighbor girl was the closest his nine-year-old self ever got to flirting. How old were you when you figured out what they were really called? Rass asked. Stepping up on the bridge to join her, he gently moved to her side so he could resume command of the vessel. I already knew, but I think I liked your names better. She looked back down to him and smiled. Besides, I don't think anyone owns them, so who's to say your names weren't just as good? Right, because Megastar was more elegant than Cassius. There's nothing wrong with Megastar, she said, laughing. It's very descriptive. She took in a deep breath and let out a heavy sigh. Are you all right? Rass asked. It's nothing. I'm, I'm fine, she said, plastering on her best fake smile. Come on, Navi, out with it. Rass meant to sound playful, but his words had more of an edge than he had anticipated. I just had a rough headache while you were working on the engine. I'm, I'm fine now. Rass nodded. The concept of the trip keeping her constantly away from a physician's care wasn't something he had considered. He imagined her falling unconscious onto the wheel, throwing the ship into a dive while he was down in the hold. Will you promise to tell me when those start? Yeah, she said. The usual joy that accompanied most of her facial expressions was now absent for a moment before she changed the subject. I think I'm going to go see what food Hal gave us. Any requests? She asked as she began descending the stairs to the deck. I'm not picky. I'll eat whatever, Rass smiled. Fair warning, I only know how to make wind cakes. Dare I ask? Rass laughed. It's like a pancake, but the mix is different. It's thicker. I think they find whatever grain they use on the mountains. It's easier for when merchants to just keep a bag of dry mix next to the stove if they want a hot meal. Just add water. So I'll be cooking for the entirety of this trip, Kelly said half to herself before opening the door into the quarters. Unless you want wind cakes, Rass called over the railing. She stopped and looked up at him. Is that all you ate when you were out here collecting? Like I said... Not picky. He watched her disappear into the room beneath them. Rass wasn't entirely certain how they'd be able to afford restocking with what little money they had between them, or even how long the trip would last if more engine difficulties arose. He needed to be frugal with Flint when it came time to barter for the engines. Looking over the horizon, not a single mountaintop peeked over the cloud floor. Rass hoped to anchor down to a mountain for the night, but wasn't finding any prospects. He didn't want to risk setting down somewhere with wind potent enough to overwhelm Callie's energy threshold, but he also didn't want to let the brass fox drift aimlessly into the clutches of a band of nocturnal sky pirates. At the pull of a lever, the collection tube lowered into the clouds. The dash beeped. Level 1. They would be suitably safe for the night. Rass pushed the wheel forward, dipping the nose down until the clouds spilled over the deck. A clanging noise from the quarters and a shout of surprise reminded Rass to ease the descent. Sorry! Callie exited the quarters and began to inquire what was going on until she saw the clouds quickly engulf her. Why are we going below cloud cover again? She asked before disappearing into the fog. 
We're going to have to lay down an anchor soon. But the energy should begin. We're in level one territory. It'll be like walking around Verdant, Rass said just as the brass fox exited the clouds to the dark world below. What little light escaped through the clouds allowed Rass to barely make out some of the topography. It didn't shimmer, so at least he knew they weren't over a body of water. Do you think anyone is down there? Kelly asked. Maybe. I doubt a remnant would climb up her anchor if that's what you're worried about. I hadn't considered that, Kelly said, becoming lost in thought. A long moment passed before she snapped herself out of it. Dinner should be ready soon, she said before disappearing once more into the room. Once the brass fox descended low enough, Grass abandoned his position at the helm to work the anchor's crank, lowering the hunk of metal until the chain went slack. He looked over the side to see it resting in what appeared to be a grown-over field of some crop long since allowed to run wild. He shut down the remaining engine, its drone giving way to the teeming sounds of nature so unfamiliar to his ears. He heard a low roar from somewhere in the distance, but couldn't discern its origin. It didn't sound like an animal or any airship, so he let the mystery rest until morning and made his way to the captain's quarters for the first time since his ship had been called the Copper Fox. It took Rass a moment to recognize the usually disheveled room. For once, it was spotless, something he attributed more to Callie than Tibbs. From the makeshift mini-galley to his left, he smelled something savory cooking. Ahead, Callie faced the door, occupying one of the four chairs circling the table in the center of the room. She stood, carefully removing the typewriter from the table, and placed it atop a set of maps on the roll-top desk behind her. The flimsy bed Rass avoided sleeping on whenever he could afford to sat on the back corner to his right. He wished Callie had something more substantial to rest on for their voyage. He walked over to the old wardrobe he had long ago bolted to the wall, desperately needing a towel to wipe off the grime of the day. He wondered if his mother had brought his clothes aboard. Opening the double doors, it took Rass a moment to realize he was staring at some of Callie's more delicate clothing items hanging in place of his. Hey! She shouted. Your stuff is in the drawers, she said, flustered. Rass quickly shut the doors. Sorry, won't happen again, he said as he crossed the room to grab a distract from the galley. He scrubbed at his face in an attempt to hide the blush. The whole room glowed warmly under the energy lamps that hung from the ceiling. By nature they glowed green, but Tibbs' orange fixtures over them cast a more natural hue. Thanks for cleaning the place up. Had to. I can't concentrate on writing if there's clutter. I'll remember that, Rass said, lifting the lid to reveal red soup with steam roiling from the surface. I hope you're a fan of the world-famous Torbillion tomato soup, she said as she stood. She walked to the galley and grabbed two mismatched bowls and a ladle from the pantry. Who wouldn't be? He asked genuinely. He spotted himself in the mirror. He was a complete wreck. Mostly dry clothes hung off of him. His left pant leg was ripped from snagging it on the engine earlier in the day, and he was certain Callie was being polite and not mentioning the smell of smoke from the repeated attempts at starting the failed engine. He slumped into his chair facing the galley so he could see Callie. For a moment he wondered if this was what it would look like if they were married. Or if this is what it looked like on those few voyages where Emma went out on runs with Elias during their first years together. You're staring, Callie said, teasing. Sorry, long day, he said with a lopsided grin. Thanks for dinner. Callie brought the bowls to the table before she sat. At least we're on our way. She held up her spoon ceremoniously. To seeing the world. It took a moment for Rass to realize she wanted him to clink his spoon the way two would toast a happy occasion. Here, here. Rass tapped his spoon against hers and dug in. Did it turn out okay? She asked as soon as Rest had his first taste. Sorry, I always ask when the other person's mouth is full. Rest swallowed eagerly to answer, then winced as the heat of the soup burned its way down to his stomach. It, <clears throat> it's, it's great, really. A couple minutes passed with nothing but the clanks of spoons on bowls before Callie broke the silence. Have you ever been to Derailleur? She asked. My dad took me once when I was eight. It's at least ten times the size of Verdant. I once heard that almost a quarter of all the refined fuel from the winnower goes to feed its Helios engines. No, she said in disbelief. Do you think we'll get to see the winnower? Maybe, Rass said, scraping the last of the soup from the bowl, its warmth having escaped. Since it covers the origin, I doubt the energy would be terribly thick around it. We might be able to dip down and see it. Would you like some more? She asked. He shook his head. 
Need to save what we can when we can. Thank you, though. He stood and brought the bowl to the galley to clean. Nobody's going to climb the anchor. What? The chain's too long for anyone saying to climb, Ras said. Oh, yeah, of course it is, she said. I knew that. He walked to the door. Good night, and thanks again for dinner. Wait, where are you going to sleep? I'll figure something out, he said before ducking out the door and into the night. Outside was peaceful. The cloud cover kept the stars from peeking through, but at least sky pirates in the collective wouldn't be searching for them this low. After one more cursory check of the rigging on the anchor, Rast descended into the hold and grabbed a tangled bit of rope netting he once used as a hammock on a particularly slow collection day. He untangled the mess, securing it between the engines. Satisfied, he balled up his jacket as a pillow and eased his way into the makeshift bed. Rast drifted off, wondering if Hal would be able to keep Bravo Company from attacking again. The dreamless sleep ended after an indeterminate amount of time as Rast bolted awake to Callie shoving him. Rass! Rass! Fire!